Welcoming everybody to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7. Joined as always by our fearless leader, the managing editor, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing? I'm doing well, Chip. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, I think Texas Longhorns football fans are doing great because this this miracle offseason following a five and seven football season with the longest losing streak since 1956 continues. Um, everything, it seems, has gone right for Texas. And on signing day part two, on Wednesday, Texas lands the nation's top-ranked offensive lineman, Devin Campbell, top-ranked according to the 24-7 sports composite ranking, mind you. The only rankings you should be paying attention to. The only to ranking. <laughs> and, and so Texas ends up with seven uh, stud offensive linemen, including both the nation's top interior linemen and top-rated offensive lineman, Devin Campbell and top-rated offensive tackle in Kelvin Banks. Not to mention, um, you know, four stars, Cole Hudson, uh, Malik Agbo, Nato Yuzumulu, <laughs> and uh, and then Cameron Williams, the, the monster. 6'7", 360 with arms that NFL teams are already salivating over. And Connor Robertson, kind of the sleeper in the group, who if you've been a loyal listener of the flagship podcast on or watch us on the Horns 24-7 YouTube channel, uh, Todd Dodge said on our, our uh, flagship podcast, he said a lot of things that people ended up running with and it went viral, uh, including his comments about Quinn Ewers and Texas fans' expectations. But he said that Connor Robertson is the kind of blood and guts warrior that they, you know, kind of reminds you of a Casey stuttered type, um, a guy who knows the difference between pain and injury and, and will do anything for his teammates. So I'm excited uh, to cover these guys. I'm excited to watch these guys grow Taylor. I think, you know, obviously you're going to look at this 2022 class and you're going to say Quinn Ewers and right. it, it starts there. If Quinn Ewers is everything that his his uh, recruiting ranking says he is, and he's still got the the mojo after not playing football for two football seasons, then then this class kind of goes over the top. Um, you know, Quinn Ewers, they need him to be really really good, and they need him to be really really good as quickly as he can. Right. And and that's that it's going to start there. But the the lines of scrimmage were addressed in this recruiting class. Yeah. And that was definitely needed. Anybody with two eyes in their head would, would agree with that. Um, you know, Chip, it, it's it's really impressive to me that Kyle Flood was able to pull this offensive line class, not just because of the five and seven season and not just because, you know, there's questions surrounding Texas football, but just because of the fact that Texas never has really signed these type of offensive line classes, at least in, that I can recall, um, you know, in my time covering Texas, there's been plenty of top 10, you know, signing classes that Texas has inked. And it's pretty much been consistently almost every single year since I've covered Texas, they've signed close to, if not, you know, in a top 10 type of class. But there was always kind of the thought of where's where's the beef, you know, where where are the big bodies Um that you definitely need. And I, you know, I know that, uh, you know, with Texas going to the SEC and Oklahoma going to the SEC, you know, that, that move pending, you obviously, it's a different style of play. Um, I think, you know, you watch the national championship game and you see the bodies on the field and you're like, my gosh, Texas maybe has, you know, five of people that look like that, you know? And so I do think that the fact that Texas was able to sign that monstrous of an offensive line class when Texas really has not um, made that a huge priority, at least in recent history, that's big. And that's, you know, that's a position that Texas has been lacking a lot of elite talent. I mean, we go back and we've talked about this, you know, time and again, Chip, you go back and look at just the last decade or a little bit longer than the last decade, the only two offensive linemen that Texas has put into the NFL draft were both really low rated three-star prospects in Connor Williams 
and uh, Sam Cosme. So, you know, the the guys that they had previously signed that were the four stars and stuff hadn't really panned out, but you never really saw this amount of beef. I'll call, call it. You know what I mean? I mean, that that's really what it is. I mean, these are some some big guys that Texas added. And that's a huge credit to Kyle Flood. I mean, if, in my opinion, Chip, this is probably the best offensive line class, I would say, probably in 20 years in, in just recruiting, not just at Texas, in my opinion. Yeah. And and on and that's on paper. Now they need to develop these guys. We need the four star and five star players to play like that. Um, you know, we were first ones to report that Tyler Johnson, a former, you know, five star, and when he finally signed a high four star, depending on, um, you know, at what point in his high school career you want to look at, he's he's gone. He's gone from the program. And like you said, it was three stars like Connor Williams and Sam Cosme who developed and ended up becoming NFL players. These guys got to develop, and then Texas needs to come back. Um, Steve Sarkeesian saying on Wednesday, that they need to take four to five offensive linemen every year and they need to be guys who can push the guy in front of them and continue to have that kind of competition so that it's like planes on the runway when one guy leaves the next plane takes off and it's it's seamless that's obviously the way it's been at alabama and at places like ohio state and clemson where they've been contending for national championships on a regular basis. And and Texas may not be done yet uh, on, on the line of scrimmage because I still think Texas is in a good position with TCU um, transfer portal uh, candidate O'Shawn Mathis, who does not need to make a decision because he's still in school at TCU. He won't um, be done there until this spring semester is over. But I still think Texas is in a good position with O'Shawn Mathis. This is a guy with 15 and a half career sacks and has proven he can make plays on the field and get after the quarterback. And Taylor, I just, I wrote about this in the morning brew this week when I talked about Caleb Williams deciding to go to USC. Texas's season turned upside down when Caleb Williams came into the Texas OU game. Right. He scored a 66-yard touchdown on fourth and one. He threw a 14-yard touchdown on third and 11 when the ball hit the ground uh, when it was snapped to him. He had enough time to pick up the ball, set his feet, find his receiver, no pressure, and hit Marvin Mims for a touchdown. And he, he threw a 52, 5-2 yard touchdown pass on third and 19. Right. Like you can't, you have to get to the quarterback. And yeah. in third and long situations, there should be no chance to, to make those kinds of plays. And obviously, Caleb Williams is not the Big 12's problem anymore. But what an example of, of where the whole season went wrong for Texas. It, totally changed from 28 to seven up in the first quarter to losing that game. And then the six game losing streak because they couldn't get Caleb Williams on the ground. Right. And so, you know, on this defensive line, you love guys like justice Finkley and Jamon tap young guys, uh, Jare Bledsoe, but Oshawn Mathis would be an unbelievable addition to this 2022 recruiting class, which is a top five class, but it's built it's top five with line, you know, the line of scrimmage addressed. And that's so huge because like you said, anyone with uh, two eyeballs could see that Texas has got to, I mean, like night and day get better uh, on both, both sides of the line. And, and this class gives them a chance to do it. Yeah, it does. And, you know, one thing I think that is very important when it, we are talking about this class is you know, not expecting these guys all to come in and be difference makers year one, because even Steve Sarkeesian yesterday during his uh, after, you know, after Devin Campbell announced his commitment, um, had his National Signing Day press conference. And he said, you know, he was directly asked about his thoughts on playing some young or true freshman offensive linemen. And he said, he's like, you know, if you have, you know, the possibility to, you know, it's, it's a lot harder, essentially, is what he said, is harder to, to rely on a true freshman coming in um, at college. He's like, now, 
you know, if these guys compete and they earn the playing time, then I had no problem playing a true freshman, but it, it's a lot um, more difficult for those type of guys to play as opposed to a skill player. And that that's something that needs to be, you know, put in the back of a lot of Texas fans' minds because, um, you know, we've talked time and again about that, the importance of having that redshirt year a lot of times for offensive linemen and quarterback. Those are two of the biggest positions that I think really benefit from having a redshirt type of season. Um, however, you know, if Texas continues to stack these type of offensive line and defensive line too, you know, signing classes, that's how you build a championship program. That really is. And that's something that Texas has not been able to do. You know, I think that this is a starting point for the offensive line, you know, room trying to revamp it and, um, you know, turn things around and change, you know, recent history of, of how Texas has, you know, kind of been a letdown on the offensive line side of, the, you know, with that position and putting players into the NFL draft. I think this is a really good starting point, but, you know, Texas definitely needs to expand on it, you know, in classes moving forward and stack them up. Um, however, you know, um, I, I still think entering this season, the offensive line is still a little bit of a question mark right now, just because there's, you know, um, a lot of unproven guys. There's guys that have playing time, obviously, on the roster. However, you know, you can say we can judge it, you know, based off of what we've seen. I'm not sure what the position is going to look like, but there's no doubt that this is a fantastic starting point for the future. And and as you mentioned, you know, the defensive line also, I mean, that's uh, what was their total? I think, what was it? Eight defensive linemen that they got? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. And, so and possibly, you know, a chance to uh, improve on that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you look at this, you say, on the offensive line, uh, you definitely need Andre Carrick to take the next step. We've heard a lot about him. The players like him. The players say he's nasty. You ask the defensive players who's who's the nastiest off offensive lineman. They they'll say Andre Carrick. Okay, Andre Carrick, come on down. Yeah. This this is the biggest off season of your life. You need to be pushing. He he needs to be the left tackle. He needs to beat out Christian Jones to become the left tackle. Um, because Christian Jones is so inconsistent. Now, look, he can take another step too, uh, and they need him to. Yeah. I mean, because you need to have you need to have two quality guys who, if one goes down, you don't miss a thing at left tackle. And then you know, Jake Majors at center, Junior Angelau at guard. You should be okay right there. But the other guard position is open. Uh, that needs you know, is it Hayden Connor? Is it is it Devin Campbell? Is it, I mean, look, the recruiting sheets say Calvin Banks is a tackle. If Calvin Banks has the best feet and the nastiest disposition and he can figure out how to, you know, tandem block and, and zone block and do all the things he needs to do, he can be the guard. Mm -hmm. So you're right. There are some question marks and that position needs to work together. None of these guys, except for Cole Hudson are here for the spring. So a lot of stuff's going to happen, have to happen, you know, from June on and, and it needs to. So it, it, it this, this wonderful, uh, pot of ingredients are going to need time to cook and they got to like each other. I mean, this is the thing we, we talk about the 2002 recruiting class at Texas with Vince Young and Justin Blaylock and Casey Stutter, Lyle Semline and all the talent in that class, the greatest recruiting class in Texas history. The reason it was so great is they all liked each other. Right. They thought the attitude in the program was too selfish uh, when they got here. They saw Cedric Benson and Roy Williams, you know, a, a Permian, Odessa Permian guy and a Midland Lee guy arguing on the field uh, in, in the 2003 Holiday Bowl and, and decided, you know, we're, we're getting rid of that stuff. We're, we're together. It, it grew together and that chemistry and, and all that was, was wonderful. These guys have to do that too. And in the age of NIL and all that stuff, that's even more of a challenge at the end of the day, these guys have to come together, be willing to do anything for each other. And that's going to take time, but a lot to be excited about in this class, obviously, and make sure you read, um, Mike Roach and Nick Harris's behind the scenes uh, part one and part two uh, of how the recruiting cycle in 2022 went for Texas. 
uh, because it's fascinating and there's a lot of stuff in there about Quinn Ewers and all the, uh, you know, all the guys in this class, as well as guys Texas didn't get. Some maybe thankful that they didn't get, some maybe not, but it's a it's a must read for for the Horns 24-7 community. And and if you're not a part of the Horns 24-7 community, come on. What are you waiting for? Get in. Um, but Taylor, Steve Sarkeesian, I asked him, I said, okay, you've you say you got 33 newcomers. How 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 many more can you take? And it sounds like 35 or 36. Mm-hmm. Now, if O'Shawn Mathis says I'm in, he's in. And they're still looking for an inside linebacker, safety help, wide receiver help, but they're not just going to take anybody to fill those positions. They've got to be difference makers, and and we'll see. We'll see. O'Shawn Mathis, for sure, is a difference maker at edge rusher, and that's another position. The, the positions they're looking at, safety, inside linebacker, receiver, and edge rusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, if O'Shawn Mathis comes, the edge rusher thing is taken care of, but – you know, there's big question marks as you and I have talked for weeks about the safety position. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian, I asked him about the safety position on Wednesday and he said the first two names out of his mouth were Jaron Thompson and Anthony Cook. Yeah, when he said that, I was like, what? <laughs> it's a little surprising. Yeah, Anthony Cook was one of the better players on the defense last year and he played the nickel star position. And so now safety and and. And that means, okay, we got to find a new nickel star. Now, I like what Texas brought in in this class at the corner position. I mean, Terrence Brooks, um, you know, Ryan Watts, 6'2", almost 6'3", um, reminds people of Holton Hill. With I was going to say his, that, yeah. The his length. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of and, – and I've talked to team sources who say, wow, that – I mean, the early enrollees at that defensive back position are impressive. Brian Allen, um, Larry Turner Gooden at safety. And you don't want, you know, they need a they need a field safety. They need a free safety to emerge. Um, and maybe, maybe it's Brian Allen, maybe it's Larry Turner Gooden. I don't know. But they've got to they gotta find that guy. Yeah. And the good thing, or I I guess we can say the good thing when it comes to that is a lot of times, you know, defensive backs are ones that can see the field earlier. You know, they're um, the skill positions usually are some of those that do see the field a little bit earlier than say linemen. But yeah, you're you're right. I mean, um, there's there's that the thing that's funny to me, Chip, is you know, right right now, like going into the quote unquote off season is when I think a lot of times football fans kind of check out a little bit because, oh, you know, there's nothing going on, but the transfer portal and everything has totally changed that. And that's why you definitely want to stay, you know, over at Horns 24-7 because there's no denying that the recruiting is not done for this cycle. I mean, if Steve Sarkeesian is saying they could sign up to 36, you know, people, they're at, what, 32 right now. So that's a possibility of adding up to four more guys to this roster. So, you know, there's definitely going to be a lot more coming out and a lot more coming after spring football as well. You know, there's going to be a lot of players that from other programs after the spring is over that will enter the transfer portal. And that could open up a whole, you know, new uh, kind of open up a different Pandora's box, a little bit of a possibility for Texas in the signing class. But yeah, there's there's no denying that safety is definitely a priority. Um, I'm very interested to see what, you know, Brian Allen Jr. and Larry Turner Gooden um, bring to the table, you know, in spring football is good that they're both early enrollees because I think Texas definitely needs it. But, you know, um, yeah, I think that this is definitely is not over. And um, I, I would say right now, you know, the safety position and inside linebacker is definitely crucial. And those were two of the first ones out of, out of Steve Sarkeesian's mouth when he was asked, when you asked him about, you know, players or, you know, um, numbers, I guess we should say for the 2022 cycle. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff from Steve Sarkeesian on on Wednesday, he seems he seems to be uh, a lot uh, happier. His disposition yeah. is a lot better right now than we saw at the end of the uh, well, not right at the end of the football season because they did beat K State to finish uh, the football season. But um, you get the picture. I think when you look at um, when you look at the the guys who are going the fourteen early enrollees and the team who are going through winter workouts, 
you know, everyone wants to know what's going on with the quarterbacks. They are throwing, but I would say, um, look, they're going to look good. They're going to look pretty. Well, that's great. And the cool thing, and I think we've talked about it here is that Quinn Ewers, uh, seems to be, you know, fitting in nicely with, with his teammates. Yeah. You know, he's an enigma. We haven't seen him play in a couple of years. He left early, um, you know, left his high school team at South Lake Carroll early to go get NIL money. That's not a good look from the outside. We don't know what's going on. Um, obviously, he's here now. This is the school. If you talk to people close to that situation, this is the school he always wanted to be at. And the bottom line is he's here now. And, you know, I asked Steve Sarkeesian about Quinn Ewers, and he said, yeah, he's fitting in with his teammates. He's happy to be part of a team where he's excited to be there. Yeah. And yeah, he talked about him being in the dorms and, you know, he, he gets the sense that Quinn Ewers kind of feels like he's one of the guys again, where that may not have been the case at Ohio State because it was such a weird situation when he joined there. Right. He showed up, you know, fall camp was already underway. He hadn't been, he hadn't gone through the summer to get to know his teammates at all. And, and, you know, took two snaps, two handoffs. And so um, that part of it, you know, he, he and Hudson Card and, and now Malik Murphy, we've talked about that, the ankle injury that he suffered in that state championship game is going to keep him from being able to get uh, to be a part of this winter conditioning, but he's around the team as well. And, and Charles Wright. Um, so, you know, that's great. They're throwing in Ben Ballard. I mean, we can't forget about Ben Ballard. I mean, Ben Ballard is, he was the third string quarterback. He was ahead of Charles Wright. <laughs> he was ahead of Charles Wright. So we got to give the man his due because he's, you know, I'm hearing he's, um, you know, doing some throwing sessions with, with these receivers, which leads us to Isaiah Nayer Taylor. And I think that, I think that Isaiah Nayer um, is, is going to be an impact guy from the beginning. Cause from what I'm hearing, he is long. I mean, he's listed at six, three. I'm here and he's closer to six, four, his arm length, his catch radius, this guy, and he can move, you know, he's long, he's lean and he can move. And I'm excited to see this guy. I'm, I'm, it's way too early to, to make bold, you know, statements, but he caught 12 touchdowns last year. I just think this guy, um, is, is going to be an impact guy. And, and that's exciting because receiver was a huge question mark for this football team all year because Jordan Whittington got hurt. Josh Moore ends up leaving the team. They've got to have guys who can take coverage away or at least benefit from all the coverage that, uh, that Xavier Worthy is going to get uh, this season. Now that he's uh, a freshman, all American and, you know, had 12 touchdown catches. So, uh, I'm excited to see what Isaiah Nair brings. Yeah, I mean, I think, Chip, it is, you know, you say, like, we'll see with him, but we have kind of already seen with him. It's a little bit different when we're talking about him because, you know, he comes in as a transfer from Wyoming, had that really big breakout season. And, you know, that also, you know, I feel like the addition of him plus Jaleel Billingsley, you know, Steve Sarkeesian did talk about him also being someone who can kind of take some of the pressure or uh, take be a player where the defense doesn't only hone in on Xavier Worthy type of thing. He's he's good enough to where they they have to keep him, you know, uh, at bay a little bit too. But I think that the thing with Isaiah Nayer, you know, he he's proven himself, but now he also has a receivers coach that is, you know, one of the up and coming, you know, young type of coaches in college football and Brendan Marion. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian talked at length about how impressed he he is with Brennan Marion and even with you know what he was able to do at Pitt and watching the receivers at Pitt you know Steve Sarkeesian talked about how they did something a little bit similar offensively um, with the receivers there that Sark wants to do with his offense and so you know I think that Brennan Marion coming in obviously um, was a really big hire and I think a needed hire I hate saying that because I always feel bad I mean you know Andre Coleman lost his job so I feel bad saying like oh he needed to go or anything but this is I, I believe that this is an upgrade at the position from a coaching standpoint. And, you know, he, in order for Brennan Marion to be what he can be, he needs the guys to coach and to develop. And I think that Isaiah, Isaiah Nair is a prime example of somebody who 
um, could be that guy. And I think that the receiver room right now is in a much better position than it was at the end of last season. And I think, and I don't think it's too soon to say that. I really don't. I think that, you know, it's, it's easy to make bold predictions in the off season, but when we're talking about guys that have already proven themselves at the college level, it's a lot easier to make those bold predictions. And I think that this uh, group could look a lot, a lot different. And, uh, you know, also bringing back Jordan Whittington too. you know, Sark did talk about that. Um, plus Troy O'Meary. I mean, you know, we kind of forget about him a little bit, but he's, you know, on the men still uh, making his way back. Sark said that he is not, um, you know, he's limited in, in uh, winter conditioning or whatever, but I think that this group right now is in a much better position from um, as a whole, I would say from top to bottom, starting with Brennan Marion and trickling on down to the players there. Well, and the thing I like about Brennan Thompson um, coming in from, you know, West Texas, uh, small town kid, great nugget from Mike Roach in the uh, behind the scenes uh, recruiting part one and part two about Brennan Thompson having a conversation with Jordan Shipley another small town kid and how he was able to acclimate to Austin and, and, and Jordan Shipley, the all-time leading, you know, receptions, um, career holder at Texas. So, um, Brennan Thompson is a blazer. I mean, if you can complement Xavier worthy and Isaiah Nayer's size and speed with flat out speed, and Bijan Robinson catching the football out of the backfield, Roshan Johnson. Now the defense has problems. And, and so um, I like it. I like where this receiver room is coming together. They need more depth. They need a lot. They need Calvante Dixon to take the next step. What is Marcus Washington doing? Um, they need to have the defense going, uh-oh, a lot. And they haven't been going, uh-oh. Right. And so let's, let's see. Uh, how much more they can add. And then, you know, tight end is still a question because you've got Jaleel Billingsley coming in from Alabama. Well, the reason he's leaving is because he didn't block the way that Nick Saban wanted him to block. He got passed over each of the last two years, including by a redshirt junior um, who, you know, went on to set the record for touchdowns by a tight end uh, this season at Alabama with eight because he was a blocker and he could catch. So we got to see if Billingsley can take that step or is it Gunnar Helm, uh, who by all my team sources is the furthest along in the blocking game. And you've got Jatavian Sanders, who's got the body to be the elite tight end. Now he's just got to, he's got to get used to all that get down and dirty contact and just be a monster, you know, not just a guy who can catch the ball in space. Easier said than done. I got it, but you want to play in the league. I mean, the thing about Steve Sarkeesian's offense, it is a pro style offense. I mean, if you do what these coaches are asking you to do, you're going to get a look from the NFL. That's how respected Steve Sarkeesian, Kyle Flood, and this offense is. So buy in. I mean, right. that's the that's the bottom line. Um, right. And Jeff Banks, too. I mean, yep. Jeff Banks is Banks is very highly regarded and respected in, um, in football, honestly. Uh, you know, I think in every, every stage of football, every league of football, um, he has great relationships with the high school coaches. He's an elite, you know, uh, mine, and he's put a lot of players into the NFL and, you know, he, he's the right guy for that tight end position too, Chip. I, I mean, that definitely does not hurt Texas in any way to have him, you know, I mean, that was a guy that I, I think Tom Herman wanted to hire and, uh, couldn't, you know, was unable to get him from Alabama, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they, they definitely need to come along, um, no doubt about it at tight end, but I think that I would be less concerned about tight end if I were talking about the positions of concern right now, I was, I would say that'd be at the, like one of the bottom parts of my list personally. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his last words, right? <laughs> well, the, and I had a conversation with, a with a coach the other day, um, a, a coach not at Texas and I was asking them who faced Texas and I asked them about the defense and Texas's defense and and you know they were saying well you had Brendan Schooler back there who had been playing receiver and then he flips back to safety where he played as a freshman at Oregon 
and and BJ Foster, who just signed with who Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State, yep. And you know, the coach said, There you go. There that's the story. That's all you need to know. I mean, he said elite defenses have guys who've been playing together in that secondary so comfortable back there that they they can see it all before it happens and you know that just wasn't the case for texas and so we'll see if jaron thompson anthony cook and um you know some of these uh these young corners can push deshaun jameson and and bring some of that security and that toughness to that secondary that has was so sorely lacking last year, painfully lacking at times. There was there was good effort from some players, not so good of effort from others. That can't effort is non-negotiable. That effort has to be on display at all times. So uh, this is going to be fascinating. Of course, Gary Patterson is here now uh, as a special assistant to Steve Sarkeesian. What did you make of of uh, Sark's comments about Patterson, because this is really the first time Sark has talked about Patterson since the hire and, you know, since the hire became official or whatever. What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it was interesting to kind of hear a little bit more about what his role is. You know, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian talked about with Gary Patterson, you know, having another set of eyes that from a head coach, a former head coach is exactly what Nick Saban has relied on at Alabama. It's how Steve Sarkeesian got the job at Alabama. You know, um, he came in as a an analyst, you know, and, and that's something that Nick Saban is basically the, you know, fired coach factory to get them back into the coaching game um, uh, there at Alabama. But I, I thought it was really intriguing to hear, you know, kind of how um, how Gary Patterson can also help with, like, Pete Kwiatkowski too. And it's not like a looking over your shoulder type of thing for Pete Kwiatkowski, Steve Sarkeesian. I'm very curious. I would say how close that relationship is, but Steve Sarkeesian did, you know, I can only take him for what he's saying. He said that, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski and Gary Patterson have really worked um, well together and they have, um, you know, a lot of uh, experience. Patterson has a lot of experience in the big 12. And that's something that can really help Pete Kwiatkowski who hasn't had a lot of experience coaching against the type of offenses like he is at Texas, you know, when he was in the Pac-12, he didn't face a lot of the type of offenses that he's going to be facing here in the Big 12. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I would say what I made of it is it didn't really surprise me. I think the, the biggest takeaway was more kind of what his job is and essentially what it is. It's literally Sark's right hand guy. It sounds like a little bit, but more so than, you know, like a chief of staff type of thing. This is a right-hand guy that he can rely on from the coaching ranks. Um, it, I mean, that, I, I wouldn't have expected a different answer, I guess I would say. What did you take from it? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian mentioned that he was at the senior bowl on Tuesday where he had a chance to see, you know, Josh Thompson and Cameron Dicker and, and Gary Patterson was back in Austin overseeing the, the morning workouts and and it has and has been since since he you know uh, started on the job he's he's been at those 6 30 a.m workouts every morning and and i think as spring football progresses i think uh gary patterson because from what i'm told gary patterson is going to speak when asked otherwise he'll just observe and wait yeah. to see if anyone wants his opinion on things. He's not going to be demonstrative and, you know, he's, he's going to be observing. And, and I think that's where PK, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski is comfortable uh, because PK is a quiet, really cerebral guy. I just want to know how they're going to tie the front and back of this defense together better uh, than they did last year. And I don't know if, if it was all player buy-in, I mean, my God, I, I didn't see enough versatility. Um, I love PK's blitzes. I, I probably need to write about this because when he brought pressure, it usually impacted the play. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, I, 
I just think that Gary Patterson can really serve as a, and Patterson's background is in the secondary. I think he can serve as a really good sounding board to, to tie up that the cohesiveness of the defense. So, yeah. and I, and I do feel like they're strong at defensive tackle Taylor. I mean, you know, I love, I thought Tavondre sweat was better as a sophomore than he was as a junior Tavondre sweat can play in the NFL. If he'll get his body right and do, you know, what he's asked to do. Um, I love Byron Murphy. I mean, I think Byron Murphy is an NFL player and, and so, you know, and then they've got to figure out what they're doing with Alfred Collins. They've got to figure out a way to turn that guy into the monster he is because uh, he's too athletic. He's too big. He's too everything not to be an impact guy. He's, he should be an all big 12 player in 2022. They should put him in position and he's got to do the things he needs to do. He's got to be better with his hands. He's got to stay lower, but they've got to put this guy in position to, to be a monster. Yeah. And one, when you talk about the cohesiveness of the defense from last year, Chip, a part of me wonders how much of that was a lack of cohesiveness with the staff because they, you know, they'd never really coached together. It wasn't a situ it wasn't a normal type of situation where more times than not, when you hire a defensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator has a, a selection at least, or an input of who he wants as assistant coaches on that side of the ball. Obviously Pete Kwiatkowski was one of the last people that was hired on Steve Sarkeesian's staff. Um, so, you know, he didn't get to pick his own coaches. Now that they have a year working together, I wonder how much that also will help or play, you know, a role in potentially improving the cohesiveness of the defense, because I feel like the staff may be a little bit more cohesive now that they've had some time together. And I don't know that that's to be determined, but you know, you would, one would think if this staff is gelling together, that that should be the outcome um, you know, this season, you know, kind of get those, those wrinkles out, but there's, yeah, I think that there's no denying that Gary Patterson, his addition, it definitely does not hurt Texas in any way. I think that, um, if anything, and one thing too, you know, when you mentioned that Steve Sarkeesian being at the senior bowl and Gary Patterson being at workouts, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is kind of a green head coach again. I mean, yes, he has been a head coach at, pri you know, prior parts of his career, but that was a while ago. And there's a lot more responsibility that falls on the head coach. Obviously, he knew that taking this job. However, I think that this could alleviate a lot of the responsibility and help Steve Sarkeesian kind of get more and more back into the flow of being, you know, the CEO of a football program once again, um, but without the, the pressure of needing to do it immediately. You know what I mean? I feel like Gary Patterson can really help take some pressure off of his shoulders and take responsibility off of his plate you know, away from coaching players, obviously Gary Patterson can't do that, but I do think that his knowledge and his experience as a head coach could really help Steve Sarkeesian kind of get, you know, back into a smooth flow of being a head football coach at a D1 program. Um, not saying obviously, you know, he already has one year at Texas. I know that, but still, I think that it's, it's not a transition that happens overnight when you've had such a, a big, you know, uh, uh, period where you were not a head coach. You know, he wasn't even that Sark wasn't a head coach. He was an analyst for a number of those years. He wasn't coaching players at all, you know, at Alabama for a couple of years there. So I think, you know, I, I wonder if this will also help Sark in the long run, kind of just get his feet wet and get back into the flow of being at what it takes to be a head coach at a program as big as Texas. Yeah. One of the funnier comments I thought that Sarkisian made about Gary Patterson, he said, people see him on the sideline, but he's a really good guy, you know, <laughs> meaning that and it's funny because Patterson talks about the switch all the time. You got to have a, a switch as a player that you flip from being, you know, Clark Kent and then turning into Superman. Mm -hmm. And and Gary Patterson will tell you, I have that switch, too. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm the country singer. I'm the nice guy. But once step on that field, the the switch is flipped and. And even Gary Patterson, uh, you know, turns into the Avenger and the sweat and Gary's as our guy, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think put it on our board last year. He's getting a workout. He's getting a workout during those games. So, uh, and Texas needs more, you know, switch flipping. Yeah. And, and Taylor, that probably leads us right into, uh, Texas basketball because woo, 
Uh, I was in Lubbock on Tuesday night for that. And I've got to say, uh, every, every single person in Lubbock had their, their switch flipped to, uh, five alarm fire. And, uh, they, they wanted to send a message to Chris Beard and all that, that, Hey, we're just fine without you. They played breakup songs, Taylor, throughout the game <laughs> during the PA breaks. Oh. I mean, Kelly Clarkson's since you've been gone, the list goes on. And I mean, it was, it was really, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. First and foremost, I got to say, Chris Beard, job well done. You got that Raider riot student following created over the previous five seasons. It is a monster. And, and it came back and, you know, Chris got to see it firsthand from a view he probably never imagined, but he, that was relentless for two hours during the game. Forget that students were lined up and using F-bombs every other moment when talking about Texas basketball for four straight days leading up. Ambushing uh, to, the buses. <laughs> oh my gosh. Buses. I mean, when the kids came out for warmups, F you Texas, da, 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 da. It was nonstop. So kudos to Texas Tech. Uh, kudos to Chris Beard for building that student following. Because the funny thing is, Taylor, the new coach at Texas Tech, Mark Adams, he's got the personality of a math teacher. <laughs> he looks like one too, kind of. <laughs> Super smart basketball guy, demanding, but he can't connect with students like Chris Beard with all that charisma and all that energy. So Chris Beard did him a huge solid by creating that home court advantage. And now Mark Adams, if he can recruit and continue to coach these players and keep that culture, he will benefit, continue to benefit from that home court advantage. But uh, Texas Tech's a good team. We knew that. They were picked fourth in the Big 12 preseason, you know, behind Kansas, Texas, Baylor. And... And they did what they were supposed to do. They defended their home floor. I thought Texas was was rattled early. Mm -hmm. um, Texas leading scorer, Timmy Allen, right when Texas cut it to four, he turns it over. He misses a layup. Tech hits a three, scores on a layup, leads goes back to nine, and Texas was never really in the game again. And in those moments, when you have a chance to close, you have a chance to shut that crowd down, you got to answer and I thought Christian Bishop answered. I thought Trey Mitchell answered. Heck, I thought Devin Askew, Marcus Carr played their hearts out. Courtney Ramey. Um, and really, those five guys I just mentioned, Taylor, I think are the backbone of this basketball team. And Timmy Allen, obviously, uh, does it all and, right. and needs to be uh, a, a big part of it and other players involved. But those five right there, um, you know, Devin Askew, Carr, Ramey, Trey Mitchell, Christian Bishop. I thought those were the guys who were the toughest in that atmosphere and, and brought you the most. Brock Cunningham is a great energy guy, great defensive guy. Get your extra position possessions with his offensive rebounding. I love him. He's Dennis Rodman. He's not going to score much, although he did hit his only three attempt in that game. But this is where Chris Beard has got to figure out who his his four minute last four minutes of the game guys are and, and let's go because uh, Iowa state on Saturday at home and then Kansas at home, you've got to defend your home floor and Texas is still looking for a signature win. Right. I mean, they still don't have a, you know, a quad one win or a, a, a top, you know, win over a top 10 team um, or top 25 team other than Tennessee that the NCAA tournament committee is going to look at and say, Oh yeah, Texas. I mean, every time I look, Texas's seed is slipping. Now they're like on the eight, nine line. Right. So it's, it's a critical point in the season for Texas. Yeah. And it felt like chip in that game. It just seemed like every time Texas did start to get a little bit of momentum, it was just like Texas tech hit a three and just shut it down, you know? And that was, it, it was, you know, an uphill battle from the jump. But yeah, I agree. I mean, now is the time. I mean, you can't you can't let, you know, um, this slip away. I mean, remember, Texas before the season was talked about being a final four team. Right. And it's like, 
obviously I, I feel like that was a little bit hyped, um, you know, because the, you know, Chris Beard, he did, had a wonderful off season, obviously getting a lot of these transfers into Texas. So I think people hyped it up a little bit more than what they probably should have, but you know, how do you, you don't want to go from being a potential, you know, a final four pr uh, projected team before the season to, are they going to make the NCAA tournament like that? That would be a huge, huge fall from grace and definitely not something that Texas um, I think can afford to do honestly. Um, yeah. And this is, this is a crucial time chip this whole month. Honestly, the month of February is a crucial month for Texas because they do face some, um, some of the best teams in the conference and who are also some of the best teams in the country, you know, because the big 12 is, is pretty loaded this year. Um, from top to bottom, honestly, I feel like pretty much any team in the Big 12 can beat you. And that's not just saying beat Texas. I'm saying beat each other. Like, I really do think that this league is pretty stacked from top to bottom. So, yeah, this is a this is there are some must win games coming up. Um, and one thing just is totally random, you know, I was talking to Bob Ballou from KI yesterday uh, before Sark and. Uh, he was joking about how, you know, Texas Tech had Ric Flair be kind of their hype man uh, at the game. And he's like, Texas should answer and have The Undertaker come. And I was like, oh, yes, let's do that. <laughs> I was yeah. like, The Undertaker. Like, I, I loved wrestling growing up. I was a big tomboy and absolutely loved The Undertaker. And he said that. And I was like, wait, let's let's really try to push this. Let's try to get this out there. <laughs> yeah, think about it. You yeah. could have, you could dim the lights, have smoke. That's and then wheel a coffin out. Yeah. <laughs> open it. Have the Undertaker come out. His he didn't even have to say anything. <laughs> you know, the fans will be going nuts. He doesn't even have to say anything. That's what's so funny about the Undertaker. Yeah. You've got Ric Flair, the Nature Boy, who could, you know, rap with the best of them. And then you got the Undertaker, who never said a word. Yeah. He just had the presence, and I no doubt. I mean, the Undertaker is a huge Texas fan he's around all the time yeah uh, i like it i like it yeah I, right. I mean honestly the, the the intro music that we use our bed music for our podcast when they put it together my first thought because it has kind of the bells a little bit if you listen to the podcast you know yep. how it starts with it literally when i got it sent to me my first thought was oh my gosh this kind of reminds me of the undertaker's walkout song and i was like this is it bud let's go let's go bud elliott from 24 7 he's the one that got it together and i was like i'm all on board chip i don't even care if you don't like it because <laughs> yeah. yeah all right well let's uh let's get to some love it or leave it huh yeah, uh, before we do get to love it or leave it, we're going to take a really quick break. But stick around because football talk and basketball talk actually will continue after the break. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Chip, let's bring in some love it or leave it. You ready? I'm ready. All righty. My first one for you is love it or leave it. Other than Quinn Ewers, the 2022 recruit you are most excited about is Devin Campbell, the highest rated offense alignment in the nation. You know, I am, um, I'm excited about Devin Campbell. I am, um, but you know what? I'm not going to lie. I'm going to leave this and say the, the 2022 recruit I'm most excited about, um, is freaking Cameron Williams, the monster. He's six seven. He's three sixteen. His arms, you know, he has like 36, uh, 37 inch arm length. I don't know if this guy's gonna ever be an you know impact guy or what, but man, I want him to be. I want him to be because that is what the NFL plays with. This this guy, Jonathan Ogden, with the Ravens, played at UCLA, was six nine and was eclipse of the sun big, but this is what you've been seeing at Alabama. And, um, he's from Duncanville. I just, I just get excited about, you know, seeing a guy at tackle with that frame. And cause that's, that's what you win with. You can, you can hold off the Nick Bosa's of the world and the, you know, the, the great pass rushers with that kind of frame. So I'm, if we're just talking pure excitement, then give me Cameron Williams. Okay. I got you. Taylor. How about you? Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this too, but 
on it, I mean, since we're talking about if Quinn Ewers is in there, I, I assume that we're going to also um, talk transfers in the group too. And so I, I would say that um, obviously I'm excited to see Devin Campbell, same with Kelvin Banks, all of these offensive linemen, honestly, I'm very excited to see, but I would say of the 2022 signees, I am probably most excited to see what Isaiah neighbor or Nayer, excuse me, can um, bring to the table. I really do think that, you know, I, obviously he's proven himself at the FBS level, um, a little bit different competition that he faced in Wyoming, but still, I think you can't overlook, you know, more than 800 yards receiving and 12 touchdowns. And I really think, you know, him in a Steve Sarkeesian offense and, you know, being coached by Brendan Marion, I really do think that he could even, you know, improve his game substantially if he does, you know, continue to develop the way that he was showing um, on the field, at least at Wyoming. So I would say I'm leaving and I would say Isaiah Nair is the one that I am most excited to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think he's going to be, uh, he's going to make a difference. Yeah. All right. Love it or leave it. Number two. All right. Number two, other than Quinn Ewers, again, the 2022 recruit that you will have the biggest, that, excuse me, that you think will have the biggest impact immediately is receiver Isaiah Nair. Love it or leave it. I, I'm going to love this because I, in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, you put a six three six four receiver with length and speed. Uh, that guy's got a chance to make all kinds of plays because the best friend of a quarterback is a receiver he can just throw the ball up to. Like even if he's blanket covered by Jalen Ramsey, if he can go up higher than Jalen Ramsey and make the catch, and I got a quarterback who can throw it to him higher than the than the db oh yeah then i'm in so i'm gonna love this i I, you know i agree with what you just said i mean from an excitement level this guy's gonna provide excitement right um he's he's an impact guy he's shown it already and i just think this is exactly what the texas offense needed typically you get speed in guys who are six one or smaller right you know then you get the freaks like calvin johnson the megatrons who are somehow randy moss six five and can burn um so i'm excited i'm not saying isaiah nair is randy moss or you know calvin johnson he's just a big guy who can fly and he's got long arms catch radius so yeah i'm gonna love this because i do think in terms of impact on the offense uh, that everyone's going to see. It's going to be very apparent because he's going to be catching passes that move the chains, score points. Uh, Isaiah Nair probably is uh, the biggest impact guy in this 2022 class. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I'm going to love it. And the other, you know, for everything, I'm not going to repeat everything you said, but I agree with everything that you were just saying about him, what he brings to the table and, um, you know, provides something that Texas didn't have, I think for the last two years, honestly, I would say um, they lack that type of receiver. But the other thing too, where I think he's going to make an impact is he's going to also, I think, impact Xavier Worthy's, uh, you know, his production as well, because this is another guy that defenses are going to have to, um, you know, as Steve Sarkeesian said, like they can't just hone in on one guy if you have other receivers out there with, um, you know, Xavier Worthy obviously being the probably the bell cow, I would say, of the group. But then um, if Jordan Winnington's healthy and Isaiah Zaya Nayer is uh, available on the field, those are three guys that you've got to look out for. Oh, and that's before we're talking about B. John Robinson, who is arguably one of the best returning running backs in college football for 2022. So, yeah, I think that Isaiah Nayer from himself, he will make a huge impact, I believe, in 2022. But he will his presence on the field, I believe, will also impact other positions you know, skill positions on offense, which is not something that you should take lightly. And that's what Texas needs. They need multiple weapons that defenses have to be, you know, account for. And, uh, you know, not just a running back and a receiver, you know, the more, the more type of difference makers you put on the field, the harder it is on the defense. And so I think that Isaiah Nair from, for a multitude of reasons, I think he's going to not only have an impact as a player, you know, in 2022, but his, his presence on the field is also going to impact a lot of the players on offense too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, huge pickup mm-hmm. for Texas in this, uh, 
in the transfer portal. All right. Our last love it or leave it. All right. My final one is love it or leave it. Texas next two home games against Iowa state and Kansas are make or break games for the Longhorns NCAA tournament resume. I'm not going to say make or break. I'm going to leave this, but you have to win against Kansas, Texas Tech, and Baylor at home. And you're probably not going to win all those at home, but you've got to you've got to get some quality wins and you've got to get momentum. You got nine games left in the regular season before you go to the Big 12 tournament. The Big 12 tournament is your get out of jail free card. If you can become the hot team and win that thing, you're automatically into the NCAA tournament. I'm not saying Texas is, you know, I mean, they're not a bubble team yet, but they're getting there and they need to not be there. And so, I mean, I'm almost talking myself back into changing my mind and saying, yeah, these are must win games. Um, Cause Iowa States, they're good, but, they played out of their minds against Texas and Ames. So I would say that is a must win. And then Kansas, uh, you know, Obaji is the leading scorer in the big 12. He had COVID the other night. He didn't play Kansas still won um, against Iowa state. I think, you know what? I'm going to, I'm still going to leave this because if they beat tech at home, if they beat Baylor at home and they can beat Kansas at home, they're fine. Mm -hmm. But you can't, I'm also thinking about the last home game they played. Well, I'm thinking about the Kansas state game where they were up, you know, by five with a minute 28 left or whatever it was. And they get outscored six, nothing and lose. Um, so yeah, they got to get it going. I mean, they've got to get it going, but it's not make or break. So I'm going to leave it, but man, they need to get some momentum going. And these next two games would be a great place to start. Yeah. How about you? I, yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to agree. I'm not going to say that it's make or break right now, but there's no denying that they definitely need to get some momentum because, you know, you look at the schedule chip, we say, you know, we're talking about, you know, um, home versus Iowa state home versus Kansas. And then they go at Baylor, you know, the number eight team in the country. So they're facing the number 20 ranked team, the number 10 ranked team, and the number eight ranked team in three straight games. So you definitely want to get some momentum, you know, down the stretch here and they definitely need it. I don't think that it's make or break right now. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be a situation like last year where Texas had to win the big 12 tournament in order to basically get a bid to the NCAA tournament. I don't necessarily see that playing out at this point, but there's no denying that Texas is in desperate need of some momentum during this month, because this is going to be a really tough stretch, you know, leading up to that big 12 tournament. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to um, leave it, but I do think that they have to win some of these games. Yeah. And I'd like a lot of, uh, Devin Askew, Marcus Carr, Courtney Ramey, Christian Bishop, Trey Mitchell on the floor, please, with Andrew Jones coming in to give him some scoring, with Brock Cunningham coming in to heat him up, Timmy Allen. Um, but I think after watching that atmosphere on Tuesday and it took Timmy Allen way too long to, to engage the way that Christian Bishop and Trey Mitchell were, were going after those guys, um, I'm not trying to come down on Timmy Allen, but it's crunch time and your best players got to show up in the big games. Texas Tech's three leading scorers all played great in that game. And I need to see that toughness. And, and I saw it in Christian Bishop. I saw it in Trey Mitchell. I saw it in Marcus Carr and Devin Askew and Courtney Ramey's a sniper. Those are the guys I need to see on the floor a lot together yeah. i'm just saying you know Chris, all right um coaching listen, tips from chip brown here <laughs> we got a lot going on next week we will we'll talk texas baseball baby because we're uh we're closing in on texas baseball opening the season february 18th against rice and their preseason rank number one we'll we'll get into it uh, we got all kinds of stuff going on and it's always going on at horns 247com if you're not a member 
my gosh, join Horns 24-7 right now just to read the behind-the-scenes recruiting part one and part two on the 2022 class from Mike Roach and Nick Harris. It's fantastic. That's that's why you join Horns 24-7 to be an insider. Exactly. Come on. If you're not an insider, then you're outside. No one wants to be outside. It's cold right now. There's like a freeze There's going on. No outside my window right now. <laughs> Heck, drip your... Trip your uh, faucets, folks. Uh, you don't want you don't want big problems. All right, Taylor, great stuff. Thanks everybody for listening to the flagship podcast. Uh, until then, we'll see you over at horns247.com and on the horns247 YouTube channel. Uh, and stay safe and keep the faith.